Good morning, everyone. It's uh, 10 a.m. I guess time to get started here. I want to thank you, everybody, for being here this morning. And before we get started, we're, we're studying in, Ju in Jude. We're towards the end of Jude. We're uh, down towards uh, verses 20 through 23. But before we start with our study this morning, please, uh, please bow and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We praise you and thank you for all your blessings for this wonderful day you've given us, Father. We thank you for being our, our one true God, the, the creator of the universe. We thank you for leading and guiding us through your word, Father, and through this life and helping us to know which way to go and where to where to be and what to do, Father. We thank you for your guidance and your love every day. We ask that you'd be with us in this study, Father. Help us to learn what you want us to know and help us to draw closer to you and to be more like our Lord, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter. So we're looking at verses 20 through 23. We're down towards the end. And these verses read like this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by flesh. You might remember at the end of last week's uh, Bible class, we read that, and I said there are some differences when you look at like the English Standard Version and some other translations. I'm going to read the English Standard Version here of those same uh, verses 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. So there's kind of three, three points there, not really just two. The, the, the New King James Version kind of eliminates part of that. So anyway, I was looking mainly at the English Standard Version for this, and I know other other versions also have the like three situations or the three points. So we look at um, question six regarding these verses. What counsel does Jude give to build oneself up in the faith? Pray, right? He says pray. Anything else? Mercy, right? Look for mercy unto eternal life, right? Remain in the love of God, which, which requires obedience and living in the law of love, right? Which would also involve mercy, right? So this, this all really goes together. And then another thing mentioned here, of course, in those verses with compassion and fear, try to save others. And when we say fear, what are we, what are we kind of afraid of? 
That we're going to hell? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you have something, Matt? Well, it even almost seems like fear of maybe getting caught up in it yourself. That's I think I think that's Jude's point is the fear of getting. But if you get caught up in it yourself, you you will be going down the wrong path. But but that's the idea is that to save and help others without getting caught up in whatever that sin is, whatever you're saving them from, right? So. If we look at those two verses, 22 and 23, I had a couple of little things on those. Um, it says, and have mercy on those who doubt, um, or mercy on those who waver. So that would be, how do we have mercy on those who doubt, who maybe waver, who maybe, you know, maybe they were led maybe slightly astray or, you know, they were not sure. Well, we need to teach them, right. Right, and we need to teach them correctly. Do you have something, Matt? I think it's the idea that you have discernment. and Just because someone is maybe deviating from the faith in some minor way, you don't just flip out and throw them out of the church, you know? Right, you're, right. You're cast out. Like, like yeah. No, if they're just doubting, like you talk to them, like, like Mom said, you teach them. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 you basically have to have that spectrum of understanding how to deal with these different people. Right, if someone's just... Doubting. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think in all of this, we have to realize it could be us. So, flip it around. What if you were in the shoes of a person who got caught up in doubting or misunderstanding a passage of scripture or an element of the, the word, and you're veering away from the truth? We have to look at it like, well, that could be us. How would we want to be treated? Well, it talks about snatch them. You know, you grab, like if a child runs out in the street, you grab them back to protect them. So, and then you have to explain and, and talk with them, and, you know, you have to make them aware. And I think it's the same idea here. Right. We want to treat them the way we want to be treated, right? So, if we had doubts and questions, if we we're wavering or misunderstanding, we would want someone to tell us, right? We would want someone to come to us or even just point us in the right direction and say, hey, you know, maybe look over here at these verses, look at these and think about that. You know, just some way to try to help strengthen and straighten someone up. Yes, surely. Uh, <laughs> with this verse also, it could be others that were once Christians that have now fallen away. And you are trying to pull them out of the fire. Right. Now, there are, yes, there are it's not just three points here. Yes, it could be people who have been led astray. Like you're saying, they're going into the fires. Well, what fires are they going into? Like Judy mentioned, they're going into the wrong fires. They're going the wrong way. This is not a good thing. And yeah, we want to snatch them back. And that's, there's these three things that I, I just wanted us to look at. And, and on this first one, on those who waver, who have doubts, who misunderstand, you know, we want to make sure that we're compassionate and understanding with each other. We've all had times where maybe we didn't understand something, where maybe we even had doubts about something, and we kind of needed, you know, we needed someone to uh, talk to or explain that sort of thing. So we want to have compassion and grace on those people. And then on this, this second point, in the first part of verse 23, 
saving others by snatching them out of the fire. Well, we covered, I think we covered what I wanted to talk about. Yes, go ahead. It, it uh, reminds me of James 5, verses 19 and 20, where it says, If someone wanders from the truth, that we could bring that person back, and that whoever turns a sinner from the error of the way will save them from death and cover multitude of sins. Right. We want to pull them back and save them from that eternal death, right? Yeah. Just like it says in James, yes. Yes. We need to find out what they need and encouragement on that and uh, work towards helping them instead of just putting them down. We need to find out where they're coming from and what the, well, how they got to that point and how we can get them back. Right. Instead of condemning them, we need to understand what it is that they're missing or misunderstanding. What do they need? What do you need to explain to them or teach them? Like you said earlier, that's that's right. That's let what we need to do. There yeah, and let them know that we're here for them in a compassionate, kind way. That's right. And that's yeah. That was that was really the biggest uh, biggest thing I was thinking about there. Um, but on that second part, you know, we talked about what is the fire. You know, what is the fire they're heading to? So, you know. When, when it says we have to snatch them out, I think of that as if you've ever grabbed something out of a fire or, you know, maybe you have a, a, a baked potato and you just want to move it to your plate real fast. You want to do it before you get burned. That kind of thing. We're trying to keep ourselves from being burned, right? We're trying to stay away from whatever that sin or problem is. So we want to make sure that we can snatch them out and help them without getting ourselves embroiled in whatever the issue is. Judy? We've, we've all had uh, friends or family that you know is going in absolutely the opposite direction. They're going the wrong way. <coughs> and at any point, if we can turn them around and snatch them back, right. that's, that's what I got from that. We, yeah. we don't want them heading in that direction. Right. We don't want people heading in that direction. If we can snatch can them out. Right. Yes. Yes, man. Thinking about your baked potato thing, relating that maybe to drunkenness or something. We have a brother who's trouble, in trouble with drunkenness and he's out at the bar. Maybe we should go to the bar and say, hey, buddy, get out of here. You don't need to be doing this. Let's go. <laughs> right. That's one thing. But it's another thing to say, well, I'm just going to hang out with my buddy and go to the bar with him every night. Try to encourage him not to do this. Well, you're there with him, and yeah. what, you're, you're losing your your reputation. Maybe you're going to get caught up in it. And that's that's yeah, worse yet. Him out of the fire, you're getting caught in the fire. Right. For that analogy, I mean, if your if your friend is going to the bar and drinking all the time, and you're trying to keep him away from being that drunkenness and that issue, it's not going to be helpful if you go to the bar with him and sit down and have a few drinks with him, right? I mean, that's. That's not going to be helpful. Now, if you go to the bar and say, hey, come on, leave, that's that's a good idea. Try to say, let's let's not even be here. That's like removing that sin and that temptation. Just don't even be there, right? So then the third one was uh, the second part of verse 23. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, this is a... To me, this is a third level. This is someone who's gone totally, like you were talking about, someone who's totally walked away, totally going the wrong direction. So, let's see, and we kind of talked about that, right? We talked about not showing, you know, about, um, no. We talked about uh, why we would be afraid, why we would 
look at them, you know, show mercy with fear because we don't want to get embroiled in that. We don't want to be overbearing or judgmental or condemning. So, so I think we probably covered everything I was thinking of, right? We want to be careful that we do not contaminate ourselves. It talks about hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Yes, Kim. There is hate happening here, but we have to direct our hate in the right direction. Right. The person who is making poor choices, wrong choices, is breaking God's heart, breaking God's laws, his rules. That's what we hate. It's not that person. We don't have hate for that person. Right. Like I said before, we could be in their shoes. It could be us. We need Right. We're saving them out of love and mercy. We're hating the sin and the results of sin, right? We're hating that, but we're not hating the person. We're loving and caring, and we, we have grace and mercy for the person. We hate the consequences that come with all of that. So yes, we especially hate the consequences, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe he's lost his job, his family, his, his home. Right. And you're killing yourself. If you're using alcohol or any drug like that, you are you're killing yourself. And that's not good. Yeah, your health is in danger. Right. So all of those things. And we want to remember that it's those bad results and that bad end for that person spiritually that we hate. It's not the person we we're trying to save the person. Right. They're like the potato. I want to save that potato so I can eat it, you know. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's look at the last couple of verses of Jude here, chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So that's how Jude closes this letter. Now we look at question seven, and they call this a doxology, and I didn't really get into that because I'm, it's the closing of his letter. <laughs> so what does Jude say God is able to do? He's able to keep us, right? and present us faultless, right? Well, okay, those are the two things that we were really looking for. So how are we kept from stumbling? By studying his word and knowing what to do and what not to do. By studying his word, that's how we know, that's how we know what to do and what not to do, right? That's how we fill our heart with God's love, really. So, Right, we have to stay in him and in his life. And that really gets down to being obedient and being living a life that's lined up with the word of God. Right. Right. In our case yeah, it, it is living a life lined up with the word of God. In our case, our focus should be on 
Jesus and the examples that he set and the things that he taught, those should be the primary things that we're looking at. Um, so, and then on the second part of that, how can we be presented faultless? Because we all know we're not faultless, right? Cleanses from sin, right? Yes. There you go. <laughs> He's the only one. He's the only one that can cleanse us from sin. It's through the blood of Christ, right? That we are presented faultless. Yeah, the English, the New American Sinner says blameless. Blameless. That, that's probably a little yeah. better in a way. It's not that we're actually without fault, but in his eyes, we're without fault. Yes. Right. Because we're forgiven, we're really. Blameless, and that is probably a better word. I, when I read, that's how I was thinking of this, but that's that's really a, probably a better word, blameless, because Jesus takes away that that death that we owe. Yes. I was going to say his blood continues to uh, wash our sins away. Yes. Because when we become Christians, we can ask for forgiveness. That's right. His blood continues to wash us as we, you know, as we repent and ask for forgiveness. Yes, Jim. We must approach God in prayer in our difficult times. Where is the help that we need? We need to go to him in prayer. He's provided us with that. Do we do that? Right. We or must. We, we want our own stubborn life. We, whatever it is that we need help with. Yeah, with whatever we might need help with, we need to go to the Lord. We need to go to God in prayer and get that help and get that. And and as far as in repenting and, and being held blameless, asking for forgiveness. So definitely, but we always should be going to God in prayer for everything. Yes. Right. Jesus will present us like to the Father, blameless, with great joy. And and part of that is because as his body, we're counted as a part of him in a way. It's a spiritual type of thing. But we're presented as a part of the Lord, right? A part of his body, also as his bride, if you want to think of it that way. Either way, he's presenting us to the Father with great joy. Yeah, we're the we are the adopted children, but in 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 that bunch of Christians and in the body should be some Jewish Christians too. So they're not. I mean, because I, you know, they're not really adopted. So it'll be both, right? Does anybody have anything else on Jude before we move on from that to Revelation? Yes. Okay. Keeping our faith and 
living a life acceptable to him. And we talk about prayer and the importance of prayer. But this building ourselves up in the faith. Oh, yeah, right. How we do that. How do we do that? That's something I... Thank you. I think I think I missed that, and I meant to mention that. But building yourselves up on your most holy faith, yeah. How do we do that, right? We have that foundation. We can, we go back to the gospels and we see the mustard seed, that little faith that we start with, and it grows and it builds from that foundation, and to keep that thriving and doing well and building upon that and growing. Right, it does take work. It takes time. We have to we have to know we have to know the word to know what to believe and what to act upon, but then we have to act upon our belief, our faith, right? We have to live a certain way, we have to practice certain things. It's just like at the beginning, the very first thing that you do um, is you confess Jesus as Lord. You get baptized, these very first little steps of faith, and then you do other things. You know, you, you treat other, others correctly. You, you care about your neighbor. You do all these other things, which are a practice of your faith, right? And as you do them, you grow into that and you get better at that. It's like everything else we do. Yes, Matt. So I think we're building ourselves up in the most holy faith together here in this class and, and in our assembly. And, right. And as the verse goes on, praying in the Holy Spirit as we, as we pray and as we keep ourselves in the love of God, that's a together thing. We are keeping ourselves together in the love of God, looking forward to the blessings of God. So that's what right. we're all doing together. Yeah, and that is what we're doing here together. When we when we gather to study God's word and to worship and, and learn from each other. Yes, Pat? I know talk about study, you know, it's our faith, but you know, faith without works is dead, so we can't just say, oh, I believe, and I've read all this, and I know all this, we've got to do it. Right, we've got to actually have practical application, like James says, like you're saying, we need to really act upon what we believe and follow up on that, we can't just know it and never act upon it, I mean, James says that's dead, that, that that's not the way to go, that won't work, so... Yes. I think it kind of all goes back to the theme of Jude, and that's the intent of faith, this action to, you know, strive for it and, and make it its most important. So it's, it's something to, to fight for. Right. He is calling us to contend for the faith, and that means, yeah, to, to act upon that and to, that, to contend for something, you must take action. There has to be an action that you're doing. Um, and we have to do that in our lives. We have to present that and do that. Um, what was that? I heard a phrase a guy used here a few weeks ago. I'll try to get it right. Okay. Always preach the gospel. When necessary, use words. And I thought that was a good thing. Just that one phrase is kind of funny, but at the same time, I was like, okay, and see, that stuck with me. It's like, yeah, that's right. That's what we should be doing, right? So it kind of goes, that's kind of what Jude is saying in a way. Matter of fact, you could say that's what a lot of the Bible is saying. That's okay. So. And we like to talk, but we need to stay focused. Right. Yes. 
yeah, we do need to stay focused. Yeah. So now does anybody have anything else on this? All right. So for Revelation, which we still have books in the back. They're the green books, uh, the big Revelation books. I have just a short, because I've known times where maybe people could get a little intent, uh, contentious or whatever. I just want to make sure that we, um, you know, that we look at this in a, in a good way and uh, understand that there's so many different viewpoints. And uh, so I just have like a quick little intro for a couple of minutes here. Um, people do look at Revelation a lot of different ways. And, you know, some will say it's all already happened. And some will say it's still to come. And variations of that. Uh, some people say it's, it's all symbolic. We're not to take it in any particular way other than the fact that it's symbolic and full of imagery. And I've even had some people tell me that it's not meant to be understood. I don't believe that's true because I don't think God gives us something to learn from that we can't understand. So, so other than that, though, there's all these other viewpoints which some people will make arguments for, and I'm not here to push any particular viewpoint like that. So I believe our focus you know, should be on Jesus and realize that he is victorious, and this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the idea is that we'll try to learn things that will help us in our daily lives that we can actually apply and use. You know, this was given to us by God to learn from and to understand. Um, I believe that the scriptures do not conflict with scriptures. So if we see things or misunderstand things, you know, we kind of have to try to resolve that. Um, if I need to choose... And I think this is the way we should all be. If we need to choose between believing something men, men are saying and the Bible, well, I think we should probably lean on the side of the Bible, right? Uh, but that's definitely the way I look at things. Um, if any of these things that are listed in the Bible, uh, in Revelation specifically, some of these, some of these bad catastrophic type things, if any of those things are actually in the future, well, we would want to save people from that, right? We want to save them from those things and avoid that. So, and then even if it's all symbolic or it's all happened already, it's still representative of trouble and anguish and problems caused by sin, right? By not believing, by not being with God. And we want everyone to be saved just like God does. Now, the kingdom of heaven is here in a spiritual sense but I don't think any of us would deny that we're not currently living in heaven. We're not living with the Lord in heaven right this moment in, in a physical sense, right? So I don't think that's, you know, any issue there. Um, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but we're not there and we're not in that city. So just want us to try to avoid the temptation of division and arguments and maybe, maybe judgment on others. If we look here at Titus chapter 3, verse 9, you know, Paul is saying, you know, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. We wouldn't want to 
split our congregation over disputes of things that really don't matter. Not like not like uh, salvation and baptism and all that matters. That stuff really matters, right? So and I'm, I'm not saying that revelation doesn't matter, but I'm saying there are points of time and sometimes things that we can get a little contentious over that we don't need to be. And Paul talks about this a lot in Romans 14, and I just grabbed a few verses here that I wanted us to think about and read. Um, like in verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? We're all servants of God, right? As servants, we're all on the same level. We can't judge another servant. The Lord's going to take care of that. He's going to judge us all, right? So it's not up to us to judge each other. So to their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person, and this goes into the different things that we think that maybe we're contentious over sometimes. One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat, remember they had a lot of food problems. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So it's just saying these differences here don't need to be something that we have a huge falling out over, right? So I just wanted to mention these things. Um, I, like I'm one of these people that I really consider every day to basically be the same. So it's just the way it is. Anyway, nonetheless, um, also, if we read further in that chapter, verse 10, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Again, the Lord will judge, right? Then a few verses down. So then... Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. I know I'm probably being too heavy handed, but just just to make sure that we understand, we want to look at Revelation together and discuss these different topics and things. But, you know, to keep our uh, our love for one another. That's all. So, you know, instead, make up your mind to not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. And then there's even an example where Peter is talking to uh, Jesus, and he's talking about actually John, who's the writer of Revelation, you know, and he's like, well, you know, he, he kind of makes it out like, well, it's kind of unfair if John's going to live until you return and I'm not, you know, that kind of thing. He's got that. And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And that's something we all personally have to remember that we must follow the Lord. It doesn't really matter if Jesus or God has other plans for someone else. So anyway... So I just want us to focus on Jesus. And remember, we're supposed to sharpen each other like knives, right? But not break each other. So we just want to look at this in a good Christian way. And uh, not, uh, not get uh, upset with each other or anything like that. So I just wanted to mention that just in case. Because I've, I've done 
a little bit of this before online and and people uh, can get a little upset sometimes. So if we look at Revelation, though, we're going to look at the workbook here. And we're going to start in the introduction here because it's important to realize what the author of the workbook, what their viewpoint is and how they look at it. So in the beginning, the introduction, I, I like the way he starts the introduction with verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? This is the Lord's revelation given to show his servants things which must shortly take place. So that's really, that really is the, I guess, the mission statement or purpose of the book, really. So that's how, that's how Revelation starts. Now, Revelation, like a few other places in the Bible, has kind of a unique nature. It's apocalyptic, and some people refer to it as apocalyptic uh, literature. And I'm not really into focusing on the literature. We don't want to have like a language class necessarily. But we do want to realize that it is different in nature from the other books of the Bible. It is not, it's not the same as when you read the Gospels and Jesus, we're being told what Jesus said. You know, Jesus is telling us specific things. This is, this is a little different in the way it's written and the way it is. And some of it is kind of, yeah, mysterious and strange to us, especially us nowadays, whereas we don't have this type of writing in our culture a lot. But the, uh, the idea is that in the past, they would have been more familiar with this style of writing and this type of thing, just like you see in the book of Daniel back then, uh, the Jewish people would have been more familiar with some of this and that imagery. So, again, I, I want us to focus on learning the things that will actually help us, that we can apply and use in our lives. And there is a ton of that in the book of Revelation. So, understanding the book, I like the way he ex says this here because they would have understood some of this imagery better than us. And his example is similar to how a picture of a donkey fighting an elephant would be understood by us today. But 200 years ago, that would have been meaningless. You know, maybe 200 years from now, that will be meaningless. I don't know. But it wouldn't have meant a lot 200 years ago. These, these parties weren't established like they are now. That imagery was not established like it is now. So now... When we see that, we know that's the Democrats and the Republicans, and it represents them, et cetera, et cetera. But back then, they wouldn't have understood that. And that's the way some of this imagery is to us. I think some of that may have been clearer to them than it is to us today. So that's, that's something we have to realize and accept. Now, um, so that was understanding the book. I want to make sure that we touch on these things and I don't want to, you know, make it too hard on you. So the author of this word book also goes into the methods of interpretation. And I don't know if I have a clear viewpoint that I personally stand with. I kind of have a mishmash of things, I think. And maybe, maybe you all do. I don't know. 
Uh, but we'll, we'll look at these, the, uh, what he calls the preterist view. I may not say that correctly, but um, basically saying that everything in the book was basically done back in the first century. It's all, it's all done and over with. And it's primarily to encourage the original readers. And the value for us today would be that we would learn faithfulness to God. So even with that viewpoint, you can still learn from this book, even if that is or was your viewpoint. The historicist, historicist, historicist view, see, I have trouble with that, too many uh, syllables. And this is, uh, the book provides a panoramic view of the experience of the church as it proceeds throughout history. And this view finds the book, finds in the book such events as the rise of these Catholic and Islam and all that. Now, in a way, I think that way, but not in the way they say it. I think of it as sometimes I think that Revelation shows a historical cycle that the church goes through living through the different ages down through time. It's, it's a little bit of a vague thing, but the idea is that the church has to live in this world, so we're going through certain problems, certain different governments. You know, if you look at World War II and the Nazis, that was definitely a problem for for Jews and Christians and anyone who didn't follow their beliefs. So that it shows a cycle of uh, persecution and deliverance. So that's, that's how I think of that. Sometimes I think that viewpoint is okay because then you can look at Revelation. You're not looking for specifics. You're not trying to tie everything to specific things, but you're looking at how the, per, uh, the, the church maybe is being persecuted, but they're delivered, and Jesus is victorious always in the end. And actually, each of these views would say that Jesus is victorious in the end. So, um, The futurist view, that apart from the first few chapters, the book depicts events uh, which precede the second coming of Christ. Therefore, most of the book has yet to be fulfilled. Well, we know Christ hasn't returned yet, so definitely part of the book has not been fulfilled. But other than that, it depends on whether or not you look at all these things as being purely symbolic. I, I worry that if you take all the events in Revelation as purely symbolic, that you're going to end up on the side of the people who didn't believe the flood was coming, so they weren't on the boat with Noah. So I worry that some of that may have some realistic um, event that's going to happen tied to it. So I wouldn't want us to take the total viewpoint that we should just ignore all that. But it may be just symbolic. It may be. But I, I have problems with thinking of it as purely, totally symbolic. So, um, so I tend to believe some of these things are going to happen, but I can't tie them to anything specific, and I certainly can't predict it's going to happen in We've had all kinds of prediction in our lives, right? I mean, just 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 since I've been around, they've been predicting the end of the world my whole life. Yeah. Oh, it's going to happen in, let's say, 1980 or 88 or 2000 or whenever the mind calendar runs out. That's the end of the world because they had no more dates. You know, I don't believe any of that. That's that's silly. But so so we can't use it to predict the future like that. So then there's the idealist view which is the book does not deal with any specific historical situation. Instead, 
It is simply enforcing the principle that good will ultimately triumph over evil. As such, the book is applicable to any age. And maybe that's part of my viewpoint there is that a lot, I believe it is applicable to us and it has been down throughout time and it will be. And I think I'm running over. All right, tell you what, we will pick up with the rest of this introduction next week. I want to thank you for your time, your attention, and your interaction.